following program is intended for mature audiences. The time is now for the hardest hit, yet completely trivial football show on the planet. You are in rarefied territory. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Broken Helmet. Let's rock. Coming to you live on tape with the snap for this Wednesday, April 12th, 2023. Rich Eggie here hailing from parts unknown in northern New Jersey with another quick hitter, if you will, of NFL, NBA. Jesus, NBA's got more playoff games going on tonight. Last night, we almost rid ourselves of the one LeBron James. Well, wouldn't rid ourselves, right? He would have gotten kicked over to the next game. But we almost had him in the uh, closer to the exits, and we did not get that. So the great one, the king, all 38 years of him, of his gas baggery, will continue on into the playoffs as they won last night. So anyway, I was watching those games. NBA, obviously, on my, on my mind, as I was about to say, I have NBA quick hits here for you, but I don't. I have NFL quick hits. God damn it, Rich. Put yourself together here on a, on a Wednesday afternoon as uh, there are actually more NBA games going on tonight. So you got another two games of that as their play-in tournament continues. No tournaments in the NFL currently, just more off-season news and notes. Uh, not a lot of action today to get into, but a couple of items. We'll start off on the business side of things, where Jeff Bezos is not going to be in play as the new owner of the Washington Commanders. I mean, if you hadn't figured this one out by now, you are really late to the game. I guess he did ultimately hire a firm to try to explore a bid. Uh, I, I didn't look it up, but the firm was by, by the name of Allen & Company. I don't know if they're a big firm or not, but I, I don't know. This one never really caught any kind of fire. I, I mean, there was nothing going on here. This had no steam. Uh, obviously, there was beef if you want to believe so, between Bezos, the owner of the Washington Post, and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Schneider, because the Post had got into a bunch of different stories about Schneider, investigations into him, and all the debauchery behind the scenes, uh, and the the mess, the human mess that Dan Schneider is. And unfortunately, uh, as a result of that, the, the troubling lives of Washington Commanders fans. I said Commanders. Oh, God. From me. Congratulations, buddy. I almost said Redskins, and I, I pulled it off. I do like, I think, the Washington football team, but whatever the hell's going on in Washington, it will no longer involve Jess Bezos. He is out. Um, I, I don't know if he would have been a great owner. Uh, I, you know, I, it seems like he probably would have just shown up, but I don't know if he's a, would be an owner that would have a solid hand into the events that were going on in the NFL. Probably a, a owner in name only. Um, but you'll never know now because he's not even in contest in, in Contest uh, in uh, consideration. There you go, buddy. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, late afternoon, had a long <laughs> day at the job, and I'm fumbling with my words. But you know what? I can't use that as a fucking excuse either because I fumble with my words all the time. It's just a natural thing that happens, especially when you do a solo show. 
Because when you do a solo show, you're just kind of talking to yourself in whatever studio you've created. And then eventually, you know, the the synapses, they just get all muddied and you just fumble with some words. But anyway, uh, where does that leave the Washington Commanders fans in search of their new owner? Well, it looks as though the guy that owns the 76ers and the Devils, John Josh Harris, um, has made a bid. And this is the bid that if you've been following, the the group also involves uh, a Hall of Famer, Magic Johnson, yes, Magic Johnson of all people, who I, if I remember back in the day, I think he might have been like one of those, one of the first original like bit owners of uh, the, the Lakers, right? When they, you know, now everybody gets a little, like a little piece so that they say that they're an owner. But I think that it, it, Magic might have been in some kind of ownership with the Lakers. Uh, but anyway, I, he now is part of this group. Uh, the, the bid that they made was reportedly around six. Billion dollars, six billion dollars, and for Schneider, it is jackpot on that. If he ever does sell, the question then becomes: Is this fucking, like I said, human mess going to end up sending this, selling this team? It doesn't sound like he stated he was going to, but to be completely honest, if you want to. Read the tea leaves. It doesn't really feel like he's going anywhere. And it's a goddamn rock party in the Eggy household, as you can hear <laughs> right now playing in the background from Top Gun Maverick, uh, one of my youngest son's favorite songs. And they are having a uh, rock party right now. Uh, so anyway, nothing for Jeff Bezos. He's out. Uh, Josh Harris has made his bid. I don't know if anything's going to come to fruition there. Maybe Magic can pull a rabbit out of his house. <laughs> you see what I did there? It was a goddamn pun. It's a pun. It's a play on words. Enough. Saquon Barkley. That's the next story here. And, I mean, again, this is another, yeah, you didn't figure this one out? He's not going to sign his franchise tag. And why would you? Right? Because they're going to start off-season workouts. If you're not under contract and you don't really want that franchise tag, you're not going to sign the contract, right? You're going to hope that you get a long-term contract that fits uh, your liking better, and then you'll sign that before you do any kind of workout, especially with the injury risk factor. And the injury risk factor is amplified if you're a said Saquon Barkley because he gets hurt all the time. Maybe not in workouts, in games, but he gets injured frequently enough that you would not even come close to this piece of paper, much less sign it, uh, before you actually engage in any kind of team activity. And so that is where he is at right now. Now, you want to know what the the franchise tender will be. Like, I mean, the running back position has become just duty. I, I mean, it used to be the shit back, I, I mean, not even that long ago, but Let's go really back in time. And you talk about, like, the mid-90s on. I mean, that was, like, the heyday, right? You're talking about Barry Sanders, uh, end of his career, Barry Sanders, Emmitt Smith. That is when running backs were able to just cash in. And those days are long gone. Uh, nowadays, the franchise tag for a running back is a mere $10.1 million for the one-year tag. And so, I mean, what running back wants it? But then again, th- this is where, you know, we were talking about, uh, yes, uh, was it yesterday, day before, when we were talking about the 
salary cap and saying how the salary cap really is kind of fictitious, right? You can make it do whatever you want. Especially, it was OBJ, actually, that's when we were talking about it, was that you could, you know, OBJ, one year, four dummy years, five-year contract, spent a $15 million signing bonus into a, you know, $3 million a year. So you can really make it do whatever you want. But, you know, in this era of the salary cap, franchise tags and the transition tags, you know, the, the positions that are not, well valued end up becoming you know super tag friendly and so here you have the running back tag which would cost a mere 10 million dollars and I, last year i uh, it was um what do you call it uh the tight end tag was like mere nothing right and schultz uh, got hit with a tag uh last year and then ended up playing on it um but i mean again 10 million for a running back of course so this again going to podcasts past and the conversations about Le'Veon Bell is this is now cemented the Le'Veon Bell career track as that which would be applied to basically most running backs that are solid. Uh, they're not invested in the first round anymore or, uh, you know, the question is going to be coming up this year with the running back from Texas um, and whether or not they end up tagging him. However, uh, if they, well, not tagging him, but drafting him and then tagging him, he would go along the Le'Veon Bell career track. And so those that don't remember, Le'Veon ended up playing, was phenomenal for the Steelers forever, ended up getting tagged by the Steelers, played on the tag. I can't remember if he was tagged a second time, but ultimately said, no, I'm not doing this again, and then sat out a whole year. And came back, was ultimately traded, traded, I think it was traded to the Jets, and then played for the Jets and was terrible. And so, and that was the end of his career. He never did anything after that, floated around. I think he played for the Chiefs maybe two years ago, and then he was out. But ultimately, the franchise tag ended up being the end of his career. And so, coming out of college, a good running back has basically a five-year track before they're going to hit the franchise tags, in which case they can kick and scream. And so they tried to kick and scream way earlier, did so in like year three, which is where you saw Ezekiel Elliott get his new deal, McCaffrey get his new deal, and tried to buck the system and insulate themselves by kicking and screaming way earlier than the fifth year, seeing what had happened to Le'Veon Bell. Well, unfortunately, because of injuries, Saquon never had the ability to try to flex any kind of muscle and get himself out of this position. If you want to go to his stats real quick and take a look at what happened, for those that have not been following and scoring at home, uh, you know, 2018 was his rookie year. He was phenomenal, 1,300 yards on the ground and 700 yards in the air on 91 uh, receptions. So, I mean, he had tremendous utilization, total of 15 touchdowns, and then it was like, you know what, this is going to be Le'Veon Bell, and so if this is if this is the way that this is going to go, you're going to see Saquon you know, piss and moan come year three so that he could get something going year four and not have to deal with it because that was what was established by the Ezekiel Elliott and McCaffrey signings before him. But unfortunately, we get into 2019, he ends up only playing 13 games before he goes down. Ah! 
or he had, he had injuries in, in the year. I can't remember. Did he end the year on the injured list, or was he just banged up throughout? What, regardless, he only plays 13 games. He gets 1,000 yards on the ground. He gets 52 receptions for 438 yards and a total of eight touchdowns. So everything he did in year one went down colossally. Colossally? Went down by a huge margin uh, in year two. And then obviously year three, he is just completely out. Plays a total of two games. Blew out the knee, I think, in game two versus the Bears, if I'm not mistaken. So that year is a wash. Comes back 2021, is not even close to the player that he was. 500, well, let's say 600 yards on the ground, 41 receptions for 250 yards, a total of four touchdowns. And so, all in all, through the first four years, you had a fantastic first year, uh, lesser second year, absent third year, and recovery from injury fourth year. So you gave yourself nothing to work off of. So he ultimately played on that fifth year, Last year had 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns. He had 57 receptions for 338. So he was good. He was good on the ground. He had 10 touchdowns. Not so great receiving. Obviously, now year one was uh, not Daniel Jones. Year five was Daniel Jones. So different in that regard in terms of a quarterback and offensive strategy, especially with the new Brian Dable manning the ship. So that left him where we are now, where he didn't have any ability to flex muscle before the fifth year. Here we are. Now there's a franchise tag, and he doesn't want to play on it. And unfortunately, for the Giants, it doesn't make any sense to do anything but this. I Now, yeah, sign a contract, but it's not going to be a blockbuster contract. As a matter of fact, it's. I imagine that the Giants are going to be pretty steady in their offers because the position just does not warrant it. You're not going to break the bank. I I mean, again, this is the Giants that probably are going to break the bank, but you're not going to break the bank. You're going to give, you know, a middle-of-the-road contract compared to all of the positions uh, that are available in the NFL for renegotiations, and and running backs don't really warrant it, and Saquon's going to, you know, piss and moan the entire time. I talked about this, uh, you know, years back I tried to start up the Broken broken Blue, which was my – football podcast. Uh, I had never really got it going. I did it uh, year one, which was I think 2019 and when we were doing it on SoundCloud and I would throw it in there and I don't know if I ever did another one here but I would like to get that going uh, for this season. We'll see. Obviously a, a father, father of two with a job and everything else. Uh, time is at a premium but uh, if I do, you'll obviously hear about it here uh, and you can kick over there and uh, listen to me just bitch and moan about the Giants constantly. But anyway, as it, it re- related to Saquon Barkley, he's got the $10 million tag, whether he signs that deal or not, probably no. This is probably going to you know linger on into the season uh, unless they can get some kind of contract that he's willing to sign. I can't see that because they're going to lowball him. And like I mentioned, when they drafted, you know, when they drafted Jones, you always knew that this was coming along. You knew that the Saquon Barkley and Jones contracts were going to be on top of each other around the same time. And here they are now. They happened at the same time. Jones gets paid, kind of. 
Um, again, I, it's not a deal that I would have done. I probably would have done the Lamar Jackson route where let you could let other teams negotiate or take the two first-rounders. The Giants did not choose to do that. They signed a deal that was in some ways friendly to themselves and in other ways overpaid for a middling quarterback, but that is not the story here. But you always knew that two contracts were going to come up against each other um, at around this time, and here we are now with Barkley. Now, I am not, uh, you know... I, I am of one opinion. There are people that are of the other. And if you would listen to... This is why I can't listen to ESPN anymore, right? Because they just bring very little to the table. I will give them credit, kudos, to bringing in Mad Dog Russo. Which is funny because Mad Dog is so old at this point, right? I mean, Mad Dog is now 60-something, I guess. Late 50s, early 60s. Um, I think, no, he's got to be. He's got to be 60s. But, I mean, way past his prime... And obviously, you know, ESPN does not invest in big-time talent. I mean, they latch on to one or two key people. Right now, Stephen A. Smith is basically the entire network. And they pay them and then fill in just, you know, schmoes around them. And so here we go. They end up going out and grabbing a Mad Dog for Stephen A. Smith in first take. And when Mad Dog comes on, I think it's great. As an old Mike and the Mad Dog fan, I like to see him back. Uh, it's funny how he now has had the better career post, uh, you know, post breakup than Francesa did. I mean, Francesa had a single show; it never was really great. Uh, ratings probably were. I, I I stopped following radio ratings a long time ago, but ratings he might have been number one, but he never really caught fire. Meanwhile, Mad Dog went to Sirius, which they said you know he wasn't going to have a big play. He had the entire channel all in his name, and has continued on doing his radio show spanning. All national news, not just New York, and then lands himself on ESPN all these years later in a spot that's getting tons of pub, tons of pub. So anyway, uh, kudos to ESPN. I I don't watch first take for him, but I do like watching the clips. And then him and Stephen A. Smith ended up talking about Saquon Barkley, and I mean you could see where this was going a mile away. Last year for the Giants, he bounced back off that injury. I hate to say this for the poor position. But we all know great running backs, it's a little dime for a dozen. Agreed. You can get of a course. guy in there to be the Everybody way the game knows is this. played now, throwing the ball all over the place, and the offense being spread out. The Giants got Waller. You can <laughs> He's always looking down at the table. Not be quite as Hands up in the air. One. Look at the Eagles. Oh, just Look at the Eagles. The Giants will be okay without Giants. Giants. Yes, listen, I completely disagree with uh, that. Yeah, come on. I completely disagree with that. Listen, listen. The, the brother's Steve a game changer. I understand the investment. Game changer. The hesitancy to invest in the running back position. I get that. But he, it with how elusive it, he is, how electrifying he is as a talent now. What does that mean? What, what the hell does that mean? Somebody tell me what that means. How elusive, how electrifying as a talent? Nah. I, I, dude, look at the stats. And if you watch the games, too. if you, I mean, Giant fans probably know this more than other teams. If you watch the games, he is like the JV version of Barry Sanders. Good for a 70-yard touchdown every here and there as he spins around. But, God, he like he does these spins without the follow-up. He'll do a spin, a spin, a spin, and then he ends up losing like seven yards. 
Go watch Barry Sanders' highlights. He'd do a spin, then into a, some kind of juke move, into another spin, and then he would rip off like a 20-yard run. He would never just like spin into a tackle and spin into another tackle. I mean, Saquon does it all the time. He's, you know, the elusivity of Saquon, I think, basically comes from him more or less kind of moving forward, planting his foot, breaking it upfield, and then outrunning everybody. I don't know if it's elusive. I think he just has fantastic speed and athleticism for a running back. And so if he follows his holes and he hits you know, the spot, yeah, sure, he does a hurdle here, the spin there. But that's not really what I see that ultimately equates to the breakaway touchdowns that he's had in his career. You know, it, Which is, if you watch Barry Sanders, you want to talk about elusivity and explosion. And, and like That was Barry Sanders. Go watch Barry Sanders. And that's exactly what Stephen A. Smith talking about there. He's not talking about Saquon Barkley. Again, Barkley's best year was his first year, 1,300 yards on the ground, 91 receptions for 700 yards in the air. Phenomenal. 15 touchdowns to top that. I mean, boom! But the next best thing you got was last year, and that was 1,300 yards on the ground, 57 receptions, 330 yards, 10 touchdowns all on the ground. So those were the two best years of Saquon. And then you've got the three in the middle, right? And it's kind of like, all right, enough of that. But go figure that that would be Stephen A's take because his takes really suck donkey. So next up, we have the Colts' new head coach, right? Shane Sticken, Steichen. Again, give me some time with the new names because I I don't get them right out of the way. But anyway, funny enough, if you want to go listen to episode 22.1 and 22.2, I get into the whole coaching uh, situation of last year's NFL and then the new inclusion that they had last year at the uh, minority or woman uh, assistant head coach on the offensive side of the ball uh, and how they were trying to get, uh, you know... you know, using the offensive nature of modern football to try and uh, amplify the candidacy of minority and women candidates. Um, and it was just like, look, I, you know, these people go on certain tracks. And my argument was basically you can't really change reality. And the reality is, is that, yes, they do pull coaches from the offensive side of the ball. It used to be defense back in the day. Now it's offense. But it's not going to be a random assistant coach that you put on the offensive side of the ball. It's going to be coaches that are within systems that are like fire. And it's going to be the offensive coordinators. It's not going to be like an assistant offensive head coach. They're going to go for coordinators or they're going to go for people that are involved in the day-to-day strategy, gameplay calling, uh, you know, of those offenses. And, you know, Shane is one of those as he ends up coming from the Philadelphia Eagles after doing one year of being a head coach or being an offensive coordinator, that is. So there you go. Hot offense, offensive coordinator, hot defense, and the defensive coordinator ends up going to Arizona, right? So, And that's what happens. Before that, he did a year with the Chargers in 2020. Well, I guess two years with the Eagles, 21 and 22. So two years as, as offensive coordinator for uh, Stitchin, Steichen. I'll get it right eventually. 
like I said. But before that, 2020 offense coordinator of the Chargers, uh, interim offense coordinator in 2019. And before that, he was the quarterback's coach with the Chargers from 16 to 19. Offensive quality control coach, same member club, Chargers. Uh, quality control control coach on offense in 2013 for the Browns. Uh, back to the Chargers as defensive assistant in 2011 and 2012. And Louisville offensive assistant all the way back uh, 2010. So there you go. 13 years uh, how Stitchin got to where he is now, which is the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. But, I mean, that that is what happens. You end up plodding along. You put years and years in doing some kind of assistant duties, hopefully get up to a coordinator on a team that is talk of the town, and then you get plucked to be the head coach because that's how it works. Uh, but obviously, you know, they're going to try to change that system and by putting in, you know, offensive assistant offensive head coaches. Go figure. Who knows if it works? They put it in last year. That's, last year was year one. But back to the Colts here. He starts talking about uh, quarterbacks. Mum on uh, going after Lamar Jackson. Fine. Whatever. I Again, the Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson issue is the contract more than anything else. If he was willing to take you know, a lesser contract, I'm sure there would be a lot more interest than there is currently. There is no interest because nobody wants to play ball with somebody that wants a fully guaranteed contract, especially when it has been proven through his game tape that he is a dual-threat quarterback and part of what makes him great is his ability to run the ball and as a result, that ups his injury risk. And so now you're... You're taking a quarterback who has a higher injury risk and you're tacking on a fully guaranteed contract and nobody is going to want to be involved in those negotiations. So the Colts come out. They say that they're not going to be or they don't talk about it at all, right? And so he just comes out there and says, uh, you know, what, what did he say here? I, I was going to play the clip, but I'll just say it here effort of a you know time here but we're focused on the draft I'm focused on the guys that are in the building right now that's where we're at okay great you know enough is enough already with Lamar Jackson anybody that needs a quarterback they're all going to say that team should go for him and that's what's been going on now for two or three months but I you know the the Colts are not I I mean I don't think I don't think that they're going to trade two first round picks to sign Lamar Jackson uh, and put him under center. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, much like the Giants last year, uh, you know, they have a focus for what they want to do, and that you know, whatever that is, we'll see it more play out uh, after the draft here and what they end up doing with their draft picks. Um, you know, so uh, enough of the Colts. There's really nothing more there other than, you know, they're not going to go after Lamar Jackson. Not news. So, and then final uh, final bit here is, uh, unfortunately, you know, mid-round pick this guy was going to be, but, you know, a solid receiver, Michael Jefferson out of Louisiana. He ended up getting into a car crash, and so he got banged up with just a couple of weeks left. Uh, according to the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency, he was driving a Chevy Impala. Oh, an Impala. Impalas were way better back in the 60s. And, you know, just watch any 90s rap video and you can check out Impalas all jacked up on uh, on uh, 
switches and, and hydraulics and uh, fun fun toys they ended up being. But anyway, uh, Chevy Impala, I, I don't know the year. I don't. I doubt it was an old one. But uh, collided head-on with a Dodge Charger. Uh, third vehicle involved. The crash killed the driver of the Charger. Uh, he was a 55-year-old guy not wearing a seatbelt. You are a stupid asshole. That's exactly what he is. Boys and girls, wear your seatbelts. It's fucking stupid. Uh, as a family who owns an auto body shop and have seen, you know, wreck after wreck after wreck after decades. Uh, if you do not wear your seatbelt in 2023, you are just beyond stupid. And uh, while I feel for the family uh, around you, I, I, I've feel no sorrow for you if you don't wear your fucking seatbelt. It's just dumb. Uh, anyway, but uh, Jefferson ends up getting banged up in this crash. Uh, let's see. Left him with injuries that required multiple surgeries, unfortunately. So now you go from mid-rend prospect to probably, uh, you know, end, if, end, of the, end of the draft, if at all, which is insanely, un, insanely unfortunate. Uh, for Mr. Jefferson there. So, matter of fact, when I first saw it, I saw Jefferson involved in the crash, and I thought it was just Jefferson. I was like, oh, jeez, that would have been a disaster. But no, uh, not to be. It was not. It was the soon-to-be rookie. rookie whoa, jeez, what the hell happened there, Rich? Uh, out of Louisiana, Michael Jefferson. So. That's it for the snap here on Wednesday. We'll get back to you tomorrow. Hopefully we got a little bit more juice. Went a little long there with Saquon Barkley. But again, like I said, Giant fan, check out the Broken Blue when I tell you that I finally get it going uh, for all your uh, Giant rants and raves. And they're probably just more rants than anything else. They're just bitching and moaning. Rich the bitch talking about the Giants. So uh, until tomorrow, all the best. Peace and a man.